0: Well, today we have a privilege at Calvary here. We are going to welcome a special guest speaker. His name is Kevin Presseau. He's the pastor uh, at Greenbelt Baptist Church over on the east end of the city. He's been a friend of Pastor Matt's for years, living in Ottawa with his family uh, since uh, 2010, I believe, right? Cool. Um, he started serving at that point with Greenbelt Baptist Church. Um, maybe you're familiar with Greenbelt. They're um, one of the churches that is with us in Fusion Youth. Um, and uh, he's passionate about building up the church to seek and save the lost and has been geeking out with technology for this purpose long before the pandemic started. So uh, for technology, uh, he is like the reference point uh, for many pastors, not only in the city, but even in Feb Central. (laughs) People contact him a lot. So uh, questions of tech and how to integrate with uh, uh, the church, Uh, Pastor Kevin has been doing this uh, well for a long time. He's uh, sharing a sermon from a series that his congregation went through called Messy Church where they looked at the specific ways that the early church in Corinth was struggling with topics that we still have to wrestle with today. So, Calvary, let's welcome Pastor Kevin Perceau.
1: Okay, well, good morning, everybody. It is a real joy for me to be here as a pastor kenny shared uh we are part of the four churches who partner together to uh, raise up our youth to see them passionate about jesus and to use their gifts and their talents and their abilities for the glory of god uh, wherever the lord may send them so uh, as a pastor i absolutely love the relationship that we have with you um, in that partnership to do ministry together because sadly, like, let's be honest, that sometimes churches don't always play nice together, which is a sad part of church history, unfortunately. So I think when the church can come together in unity for the, a bigger purpose than ourselves, as a pastor, I love that. But as a father, I love that even more. And I have been so hugely blessed by your church here at Cavalry Baptist. Because my children have been directly impacted by you. So many of you who volunteer at Fusion here at Calvary have had a direct impact on my kids. And now my daughter, Samantha, is about to go off to Redeemer University to work on a, I think, I can't remember, a Bachelor's of Ministry My son, Cameron, who's studying at Algonquin, who's studying computer graphics and design, is now using that skill set to bless churches and to see ministry thrive in this pandemic season. And that is directly because of your impact on their lives. I'm specifically looking over there. Thank you, Ian. And so um, as a father, I have been hugely blessed by this church. So I pray for Pastor Matt and Pastor Kenny and their families a lot. I pray for you a lot I have been hugely blessed by you. So I hope (laughs) that I can return just a little bit of that blessing that I have received back to you this morning as I share God's word uh, this morning. Um, So if you do have a Bible with you, as uh, Pastor Kenny said, I'm going to be looking at a passage from 2 Corinthians. Um, I'm going to jump a little bit around, but we're going to camp out for most of our time in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you want to turn there uh, while I intro this, you can. And for those of us who are worshiping with us from home, hopefully you're able to grab a Bible quickly and and join as well, or grab your mobile device and use your your online Bible that way as well. And just to kind of, did I hit go? Okay, I'm long-winded by nature, and I haven't preached to faces all year. So I've been preaching to a camera all year, so this preaching to people in masks— is new to me, so if you could do me a favor to help me out, if this is connecting with you in any way, can you nod big, you know, or maybe shout an amen, hallelujah, I'm okay with that, like if we want to be a little Baptocostal today, that, that's fine by me too, okay, just so I can kind of try to see if this is connecting with people like this, so um, so yeah, and so anyways, rabbit trail, there's a few of them today. Um, As we kick off our time together this morning, I want to ask you a very simple question, but it might be a difficult question because it might bring up some past hurts, and I realize that. So I'm not going to ask for open confession or anything like that this morning, but maybe just for those of us who are here in person, if this connects with you, if this has ever happened to you, if you could just raise your hand. And those of us who are joining us online at home, if this is connecting with you, and if this has ever happened to you before, can you just in the chat or in the comments say, yes, that has happened to me. And what I'd like you to do is just be really you know, honest before God and honest with yourself. But have you ever lost a relationship with someone close to you over a disagreement? Have you ever lost someone, lost a relationship with someone over a disagreement. You see, sometimes disagreements have a way of snowballing. Sometimes disagreements start off small, and then something kind of sets in into our hearts where we kind of plant our feet firm in our position, or the other person plants their feet firm in their position, and suddenly you find yourself in this conflict And sometimes the situation really is forgotten about, and the conflict seems to escalate more and more until there's an absolute breakdown in the relationship. A number of hands here went up, and I'm going to imagine that a bunch of people typed, yes, that's me, because it just seems to be a part of the human condition, doesn't it? It's just life is messy. Relationships with other people is messy. Every single one of us as human beings have mess in our own lives, and what happens is is the mess in my life starts coming against the mess in your life, (laughs) and then we have problems, we have tension, we have strife, we have disagreement, and then we lose relationship. I want to share with you a little bit of a pastor secret this morning. This is one of the, the benefits of going to visit other churches, is I can, you know, kind of get all of my you know dirty laundry out and not have to worry about it. But here's a pastor's secret, okay? Something that maybe a lot of people don't understand about the pastoral ministry. Every single week, every week, no exception, in the 15 years that I have been ministering, I have said something or made a leadership decision that somebody disagreed with. Is that a surprise to anybody? (laughs) Does that shock you? Is that a surprise? You never would have considered that. See, when you have a a calling, when you have a role in the body of Christ to open your mouth a lot, as pastors do, well, there's a lot of opportunity to put our foot in that mouth. That happens occasionally. (laughs) But in the diversity of the body of Christ, there can be a lot of division. There can be things that are said, disagreements on doctrine, disagreements on theology, disagreements on how we interpret a certain passage of scripture, disagreements on the methodology, how we live out our faith, the decisions that we make as leaders, as elders, as pastors, as deacons, as fusion leaders, small group leaders, kids ministry leaders, There's so many tension points that can create this strife when our mess in our lives start bouncing up against one another. And so normally what happens in these types of disagreements that we have in church life is we work through it. But my experience, especially this past year, like this pandemic year, has been, we use language like it's unprecedented or it's crazy, but the reality is this past year has been hard. It has been very, very hard on everybody. Kids, teens, young families, singles, married, uh, seniors no matter who it is this year has just found ways to be very very hard and as it's gone longer than the two weeks we were originally thought it was going to be to flatten the curve <laughs> tomorrow is it tomorrow no tuesday is the one year anniversary that i've been in my basement working from my basement preaching to a camera <laughs> a year this year has been hard And when life gets hard, tensions rise, the mess seems to hit a little harder. And when church leaders, pastors, whatever that role is in the body of Christ, when we're unable to deal with that mess, it just gets crazy and crazy and crazy. So that's why I want to talk today about kind of this topic. It's kind of this Christian buzzword that my non-Christian friends don't seem to use all that much. But it's this Christian buzzword called reconciliation. And I'm always happy when I pronounce that word well because I have a little bit of a speech impediment with lists and my S's and my TH's and my Z's come out funny sometimes. So if I pronounce the word incorrectly later on, you can email me at kevin at greenbelt.church and let me know I said the word wrong. I get emails like that all the time. Usually with a big LOL at the end of it because my church has gotten used to my this is and my this. Is. So what I want to do is talk about this idea of reconciliation. And before I jump into the text, I want to give kind of a big idea today. I always try to summarize the passage that we're going to look at in one kind of big idea. Because if you remember nothing else that I say today, my hope and my prayer is that God would use this big idea kind of as a summary of his word to really speak to your hearts and be a reminder When we're dealing with the relationships that we have with one another as the body of Christ. So, the big idea this morning is as Christians, we should be known for reconciliation because we have been reconciled to God. As followers of Jesus, we should be men, women, boys, and girls who are known in our church family, in our places of work, in our schools in our hobby groups, in our sports teams, wherever God sends us. We should be known as people of reconciliation because we have been reconciled to God. So just before I jump into the text, as a way of just setting it up a little bit, a little bit of context, especially if maybe you're here today or joining online and you're not that familiar with the Bible, I want to give you a little bit of context of what I'm going to be reading about here. This passage is written by the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul started his faith journey as a religious leader for the Hebrew people. And he was incredibly passionate about his faith. He was incredibly passionate about the Word of God, incredibly passionate about the things of God and the traditions of their elders. And they liked their worship to be a certain way, and you could not deviate from it and they were zealous about it and passionate about it. And when this new thing started happening among the people of Israel, this resurrection of Jesus thing, and this power of the Holy Spirit thing, they were kind of weary about this. And then suddenly, when this same Jesus and this same Holy Spirit started coming upon people not like them, The non Jewish people, the Gentiles, then they really didn't like it. Because we're God's chosen. We're the elite. We're the special people. And those people out there are not. We want to keep them over there. And so Paul was this religious leader who was running after these Christians, arresting these Christians. He was one of the witnesses of the the death of the first Christian martyr that we read about in Scripture. And then Jesus showed up into his life. And when Jesus showed up into his life, it changed everything. That he realized it wasn't about his traditions. It wasn't about these things that he was so zealous about, but it was about this God who loved him. And that God would love him so much that he would die for him. And that even in his sin, God could use him in a way that he could never even ask or imagine. And so Paul goes on this journey of starting churches all around kind of the known world at the time. And one of these churches that he started was in the city of Corinth. Corinth is a very influential city. It's a city with a lot of impact, a lot of money, a lot of different religions. You could go there and there was a lot of money to make in religion. Not like today. Okay, Today, I don't know of anybody who goes into religion, who goes into the pastoral ministry, because there's tons of money to make into it. We've turned that ship around, thankfully. Okay, But hopefully we take care of our pastors here. That's just a little shameless plug. Okay? But um, in Corinth, there's all this money that you can make off of religion. Selling idols, getting people into your temples, and all these different worships of other gods, like we sang about this morning, how the false gods are out there. And so Paul, when he started this church... <laughs> And and he's writing to the leaders there. What was happening in the city of Corinth is they were being influenced by their culture. So they've heard about Jesus. They heard about the death, the ministry of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus. They experienced the power of the Holy Spirit coming into their lives, making them new, giving them spiritual gifts so they could be a part of the body of Christ to build one another up, to edify one another, to equip one another to go on the mission of God in the world, of continuing the work of Jesus to seek and save the lost. But then it got messy. They started fighting over things. Yeah, but what about this? And what about that? And what about this? And this God says this. And this church says that. And this temple says this. And so Paul wrote his first letter, 1 Corinthians, as a spiritual father to his children. Now, sometimes spiritual fathers need to discipline. Again, it's kind of another one of those buzzwords in our Christian circles in North America that we believe in. And we think other people should be disciplined. But gosh darn it, if Pastor Matt or Pastor Kenny ever tried to discipline me, no, thank you, I'm going to go check out Greenbelt. (laughs) Okay? Because that's what we do. I mean, who here loves discipline? I'm not seeing any hands go up. If you're online, if you love discipline, put it in big caps, yes, I love discipline. And then we'll talk and we'll set up some pastoral counseling because nobody likes it. But that's part of the call of being a spiritual father. So that's what Paul does in 1 Corinthians. He's a little harsh. I think sometimes we read these passages and we over-spiritualize them and we make them sound so light and fluffy because we want to sing them and they're beautiful. But it's a spiritual father speaking to his children, correcting their false teaching, warning them about false teachers that are getting into the church and leading them astray. So he writes 2 Corinthians as a response to that first letter, because he's heard great news that even though it was hard to write that first letter, the church started to turn around. They actually took the discipline of their spiritual father, and he's rejoicing in that. So he kind of writes this follow-up. But there's still some things that he has to talk about with them and so he the first kind of couple of chapters here in first second uh, corinthians he's talking about some of his suffering that he's gone through as a leadership he's talking about his suffering that he's gone through in his role as an apostle and his position and so he talks about this suffering and then he he finishes off and and, and i'm going to read the beginnings here of second corinthians chapter five now I'm reading from an NIV, and the only reason, the reason I'm re- reading from the NIV this morning is because I turned 50 in a couple of weeks, and my eyes stopped working recently. Um, and so this is the Bible with my bi- the biggest font, and I couldn't find my glasses this morning. So again, if I mess this up, just email me, you know, kevin at greenbelt.church. You read that wrong, It's because I couldn't find my glasses at all this morning. So let's do my best here. So I want to start here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So here, this is the Apostle Paul writing, kind of writing to his children, writing to people he cares about, writing to people he's had to correct, and he's sharing some of his experience of suffering. He says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, when Paul talks about the earthly tent, he's talking about our bodies, he's talking about our flesh, talking about this that we live in. So When this is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal home in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan. How many of you this year, you've groaned? There's been a lot of groaning this year. I've groaned a lot in my basement for the past 12 months. You should see my desk. It's got a dent where I hit my head on it almost daily. Okay? We groan longing to be closed instead with our heavenly dwelling because when we are closed we will not be found naked for while we are in this tent we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclosed but to be closed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life now the one who has fashioned for us this very purpose is god who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to always be from the body and home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us from the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Again, Paul talks about this groaning, this difficulty, this messiness of life that all of us in our human condition deal with. He says, and we long for the eternal, we long for Jesus, we long for heaven, but while I'm here in this tent... I'm going to live the life that God has called me to. Regardless of my circumstances, regardless of what I receive, regardless of the blessings that I may want to get, I'm going to continue the mission that God has put before me. And he uses a a terminology here that I want to just focus on very quickly. He talks about the judgment seat of Christ here. Now again, judgment is another one of those words that we love it when God judges other people. (laughs) We love when other people face judgment but eh, myself well i have reasons why i did that see i have there's a good very good reason why i swore at that person this morning who cut me off on the highway on my way to cavalry, because i was running late because i couldn't find my glasses and so i was a little bit behind and when that car kind of cut me off on the highway well that was a very good reason right totally forgivable and understandable See, we justify ourselves, but we judge others. And so this judgment seat of Christ, it's so important to realize that this judgment seat that Paul is talking about is not about our salvation in God. It's a second judgment that happens. The Bible teaches two judgments, right? There's the judgment of our salvation. How do we come into the eternal presence of God? And the Bible teaches us that is through Jesus and through Jesus alone. That no one's good enough. No one is religious enough. No one is smart enough. No one can keep all the commandments and all the traditions and all of these things. The only thing that can make us pure before a holy God is the blood of Jesus. But then there's a second judgment. And the second judgment is how you and I as those who have been forgiven of our sin, how you and I live our lives in this world, in this tent, matters to God. And there's another judgment that comes where we will see the fruit of our labor. Basically, how you and I lived our lives will be judged before God, because it matters. And then Paul uses a term... in in this text we're going to look at, and in other parts of his writing, he talks about the ministry of reconciliation. He talks about the ministry of reconciliation, and that's where I want to spend the rest of our time together today. If you're not familiar with the term reconciliation, what it means is, it can mean kind of two things. It can mean a financial exchange, that you've reconciled your finances right? Something was given in order to receive something else. Something was given in order to receive something else. Restoration can also be talking about relationships, right? That relationships have been restored. When a relationship moves from enmity to friendship, from enemy to family, that is reconciliation, and the Christian message is two parts. The Christian message has two parts when it comes to reconciliation. Being reconciled to God and then being reconciled to one another. Right? That's why the big idea is as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we should be known for reconciliation because we have been reconciled to God. So let's continue to, to look at this, and, and so I want to kind of unpack these two parts of reconciliation. I broke this up into two parts. encourage you to take some notes about this. Hopefully you can talk about this stuff with your family, talk about this in your Bible studies, with people that you're mentoring, discipling. I'm a big believer in taking what we've learned on Sunday and not just kind of stopping on Sunday. Let the Word of God speak to us all week long. Right, and so what I want to do is, is talk about this reconciliation. The first point that we need to really be sure of is the fact that we have a real good understanding on our need to be reconciled to God. We need, as human beings, to be reconciled to God. I'm going to continue reading here in 2 Corinthians chapter five. I'm going to start again here in verse 11. And this is where where Paul continues, and he says, "Since then." we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. See, again, Paul is kind of reminding, he's been defending his apostleship. He's been defending his ministry. And he's not defending it for his purpose and for his position. He's defending it for the church's position. He's defending it for their faith. Going, you can trust this. I'm not trying to sell myself to you. I'm not trying to make money off of you. I'm not trying to dissuade you or, or, or take advantage of you. This is for your benefit <laughs> that he's saying these things. So it's a reminder here. Right? And he talks about, right, if we are out of our minds, in quotes, as some say, it's for God. And if we are in our right minds, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he who died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. A number of years ago, uh, before I became a pastor, I actually worked in the business world. So I I spent 14 years working as a computer consultant and I actually specialized in what's called collaboration software and I used to travel all over the world uh, helping companies and organizations learn to work better together. Not to replace people with technology because I'm a big believer we need people. (laughs) The best business happens by people not by computers but computers are tools to help us work smarter and more efficiently and more effectively. And that's what I used to do. And there was a season of, of that job where I was working insane number of hours. Like I would be at the office about 7.30 in the morning and I would stay there till about 2 a.m., 3 a.m. I'd go home, kiss my wife, kiss my babies, and then go back to the office. And it ran like that for about seven, eight weeks. And during that period of time, I actually got to know and became friends with a lot of the cleaning staff of the building, because they were the only other people in the building. And at like 1.30 in the morning, when you've been looking at computer code on one of those monochrome screens, how many of you remember monochrome? Okay, I'm the oldest person in the room, praise be to God, okay, but monochrome screens were brutal on the eyes back then, and after hours and hours and hours on that, I'm talking with the cleaning staff, and I got to meet this one lady, and she used to be an Anglican minister, and she left her faith in the Anglican church and became a Muslim, and she became a Muslim because she had married a Muslim man, and she married him, and she was explaining this transformation that she had gone through, and we had had a lot of these spiritual talks, because on my breaks, when kind of the you know, the mainframe was compiling code, I'd read my Bible, or I'd go grab a coffee, and we had a lot of spiritual conversations with the staff in the middle of the night in this building. And so she shared with me, the reason she did this is because she wanted to partner with her husband to ensure that their good works would be enough to go to heaven. And I was fascinated by that statement, Because I was a fairly new Christian at the time. I came to faith in Jesus as an adult. I didn't go to youth ministry. I didn't go to kids ministry. I didn't grow up in the church. And this was fascinating to me. And She she explained to me that she wanted to partner with her husband so that they could work and strive together to ensure their good works would please God to get into heaven. And so I asked the question, how are you doing? How are you doing with that? If you were to die tonight, where would you go? And she looked me in the eyes. She said, Kevin, I don't know. Because she was her and her husband were living their lives of never knowing where they stood before God. Do my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds? This constant cosmic balance. And if, Lord forbid a bus were to show up, an accident were to show up, a virus were to show up, where would I stand? And her answer was, I don't know. And she left a faith that knew. That's what fascinated me the most. She left Christian leadership that taught the way and the truth and the life. And her story fascinates me to this day. And this conversation happened like 16 years ago. And this conversation still keeps me up at night and still drives me. Because I think deep down, a lot of Christians, a lot of people who attend the Christian church, deep down still feel like I need to prove to God. Because we don't fully grasp the concept of complete and total undeserved grace again another little pastor confession I worry about how I am doing as a pastor a lot (laughs) this COVID-19 year I have lost a lot of sleep because there has been so many differences of opinion on how we should do church during a worldwide pandemic. Do we regather in person? Do we stay online? Do we wear the masks, the social distancing, how we do the chairs, how we do the cleaning, all of these things, and there's a million opinions on every single decision that has to be made. And when these decisions are being made by men and women leaders in the church who their biggest passion is to serve the Lord and to see the people of God blessed so they can be on mission to serve the the community and serve the world and see more people come to know Jesus, you can really easily start judging yourself on how well you're doing. I'm sure it's just me. Pastor Kenny doesn't suffer from this at all. Pastor Matt, I'm sure doesn't suffer that at all. It's just my sin issue. But I talk to too many Christians that even though we say we believe it's the work of Jesus, we spend way too much energy in our lives living like it all depends on us. And I want you to know that God loves you so much that you can be set freed from that. That there's nothing you can do there's no religion you can follow. There's no rules that you can keep. There's no tradition that you, can, that you can follow to the letter to be pleasing to God. God is well pleased with you because of Jesus. You can be completely and totally reconciled to a holy, perfect, loving, righteous God. Not by what you do. But because Jesus came, the second part of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that He came and He was conceived by the Virgin Mary, that He was born in poverty, He was born as the least of these. The Bible says there was nothing special about Him. He was not someone that you would even look at or notice, He was plain. He wasn't charismatic. He wasn't good-looking. All these things, all these pictures I have in my mind of what Jesus should look like. And and the Bible says he just kind of came as the least of these. And he lived a sinless life. And he taught about the kingdom of God. And he said the kingdom of God is here. not a later thing. It's a right now thing. And that the kingdom of God is not only, you know, it's near. It's now. And you can experience it. And then he allowed himself to be arrested by men like me. Men who struggle. Who think they're all that. Who think that they've got to prove themselves in their position. Whether it's in business. Whether it's in education. Whether it's in ministry. We defend and defend and defend ourselves. And we get mad with people who disagree with us. Jesus was executed by people who would not reconcile with him. And he went to that cross and he died for you and he died for me. And he wasn't just some good religious leader. Wasn't just some good moral man. He wasn't Mr. Rogers telling people to love your neighbor. He was God. And the sin of the world, my sin, your sin, everyone's sin who's watching online went on Jesus so that we could be made new. And then Jesus proved his divinity by rising three days later from the dead. We're going to celebrate that in just a few short weeks on Easter Sunday. We are reconciled to God. I think something that we tend to forget is that the Bible teaches before we come to Jesus, you and I were actually enemies of God. You see, I used to think I was a good person before I came to Jesus, because everyone told me I was. I was a good boy. I listened to my parents. I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I didn't do drugs. And I didn't lie. I lied about all four of those other things. Okay. I was not a good person. I faked it really well. And the Bible actually teaches us in Romans chapter 5 verse 10 it says that we were enemies of God in our sin. Romans 5:10 says for if while we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Right? And so we need to remember that we are reconciled to God simply by the work of Jesus. And maybe some of you are here today, maybe some of you are here watching online, and you were invited by somebody, and and, and you've known of God, you've known of Christ, you've known of the church, all these things that we do. Um, and, And I just feel it wouldn't be Um, honoring to my spiritual gift as an evangelist to leave here today without giving you an opportunity to be reconciled to God. I want you to know God loves you and you can stop trying to please God in your own strength by simply turning your hearts from your sin and turning your hearts back to God. So whether you're here today or online and you want to just pray that and you really want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are reconciled to God and you never need to worry about this ever again, I'm going to pray and you can just pray quietly where you are in your heart, in your mind. And after the service, if you've done this today, I'm not going to make a big spectacle of this. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But if you want to come and talk to me afterwards and let me know you've done this, or online, if you want to DM me, find me, Kevin Presso, on Facebook, I'd love to chat with you. Or reach out to Pastor Kenny, reach out to Pastor Matt. They would love to pray with you and disciple you and get you connected in the life of the church. But I'm just going to lead in a prayer to just be sure that everyone knows they can be reconciled to God. So let's just pray for a moment. Father God, I realize that I've got this thing in my life, this, this messiness in my life, and it's this messiness that keeps me far from you. And I've, maybe I've heard about Jesus, I've heard about God, um, but I've, for a long time, I, I've been struggling in knowing what it truly means to be reconciled to you, of not being your enemy anymore, but actually being family. And today, God, I want to be a part of your family. God, today, I turn from my sin. Thank you for the forgiveness that I have of that. I don't need to do anything else but believe that Jesus died for my sin and rose from the dead. And the Bible says that I could be made new because of that. So today, God, make me new and use me for your glory. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So for those of us who maybe we did that today, or those of us who've done that 40, 50, 60 years ago, whenever that might be, because we have been reconciled to God, Paul's heart for you is to be reconciled with one another. We should be men, women, boys and girls who are reconciled with one another. We are known for reconciliation. Let's continue reading in the remainder of our time together. My watch says I have 56 seconds left. I need about six more minutes. So <laughs> let's go. So here we go. We need to be reconciled to one another. Look at here and continuing in ver- uh, chapter six, down in verse three. It says, we put no stumbling blocks at anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way In great endurance, in troubles, hardship, distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, in riots, in hard work, in sleepless nights, in hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, kindness, in the Holy Spirit. So this is the job description if you want to go into leadership in the church. Who would like to sign up today? Okay. Become an elder, become a small group leader, volunteer in your kids' ministry, volunteer in youth ministry, become a pastor. There it is. (laughs) There's the life we get to live. And it continues in verse 7, in truthful speech, in the power of God. This is why all those other things are worth it. (laughs) Because you're not doing it in your own power. You're doing it in the power of God. And you're not doing it with your own thoughts, your own skill set, your own education. You're doing it with the weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. Through glory and dishonor, bad report and good reports, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affections from you, but you are withholding yours from us. And as a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. Paul cares greatly for the relationships that he has with the people in his church. Paul cares so greatly for the relationship of the people that he has in his church that he's willing to suffer and suffer and suffer hardship after hardship after hardship for them. And there's something that goes on in the North American Church in the Canadian Church, in the church here in our city of Ottawa, is because there's a church on pretty much every street, you know, on every street corner, and because there's a church in pretty much every single community, when the church doesn't do what I want, and when the pastors or the elders or the leaders make decisions, that I don't like, or if their theology is not exactly to the letter on all 697 points that I consider to be of vast importance when it comes to following Jesus, if they deviate from one of those things, I will leave. And sadly for me personally, just a little pastoral confession during this pandemic, people leave. That don't like the decisions I've made. People I've mentored, people I've discipled, people I've walked with through the depth, darkest times of their marriage because we've kept ministry online. You're a heretic and a false prophet, and I'm leaving. We're so quick to think of ourselves in our culture today, and that is sin in the church we need to be men and women and boys and girls who see the ministry of reconciliation not just between us and god but it's between us as brothers and sisters in christ see because life is messy and conversations of disagreement are messy no one likes them i don't like them nobody likes them but they're crucial and necessary They're crucial and necessary to build up the body of Christ so that we can actually realize that it's not about me, that it's about the glory of God being displayed in our community together. Because, why is this of so importance to Paul? It's because non-Christians are watching you. How many of you have non-Christians in your life? Show of hands, online, type, I do. Every single one of us, none of us live in a total bubble where we only hang out with Christians. They're watching, and they desperately need to know that our relationships look different than their relationships. Not as a guilt trip, not as a I have to do it on my own, but that we lean into the power of God, which is available to every believer because we've been reconciled to God. So we let the Holy Spirit that is in us change us. We do something that Paul talks about, die to self. Okay, I didn't agree with Pastor Matt's decision on that one point. But I'll die to myself, because Matt's a good godly man. And I know he prays, and I know he seeks the Lord. Or yeah, Pastor Kenny's sermon last week, yeah, it was all right. He could have, you know, tweaked out, I didn't listen to your sermon, I'm just picking on I was horrible to you at your ordination, so you can, like, please feel free to criticize this, you know, uh, sermon afterwards. Send me a big, long email. Uh, hopefully, I loved your ordination, it was so much fun. Sorry, rabbit trail, i got to land the plane. <laughs> but the world is watching your relationship with one another. And when we can get beyond ourselves, deal with the mess in our lives, because we all have it, deal with the sin in our lives, let's be honest, we all have it, and let's realize that the body of Christ is glorified in our mess. The body of Christ is glorified in our mess when we realize that God has called us to live lives supernaturally that are different than the non-Christian friends and family that we have. So we need to make effort to reconcile. So I'm going to leave you with a little bit of a challenge, and I don't want anyone to answer this, but I would encourage you over the course of the next week, if God has put on your heart one of those relationships that came to mind at the beginning of this message when I said, raise your hand, how many of you have lost a relationship over a disagreement? Maybe some of us as followers of Jesus, what we need to do is eat one of my absolute favorite desserts. It's called humble pie. Humble pie tastes amazing at the foot of Jesus. It tastes great. Sprinkle it with, you know, some chocolate, you know, a little bit of chocolate chips on the top and some whipped cream. Humble pie at the feet of Jesus tastes great for the follower of Christ because it sets our hearts free from the mess that wants to get into our own hearts. So maybe some of you, you need to Apologize. Maybe some of you um, need to work on some relationships and seek out some past relationships that have been wounded over some disagreements. I've done a lot of that this year. It feels great. It's messy at the beginning, but we can trust in the power of God because you and I should be known. reconciliation because we have been reconciled to a holy God who loves us let's pray Lord God I praise you and thank you so much for your word your word that is alive and powerful and a lot of times when it says it's sharper than a two-edged sword oh my goodness in my life yes sometimes it's sharp (laughs) and so God I am so incredibly grateful for the message of reconciliation that we have with you that it's not in our own strength that we are made righteous before God, that it's in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we are made new. And it's in that reconciliation that you send the Holy Spirit, Jesus. The third part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit comes in us and makes his dwelling in us. We become temples of the living God, and everywhere that you and I go, we bring the full presence and the glory of God with us everywhere. We bring the glory of God to work, to school, to hockey, to geek clubs, wherever we go. And so, God, I pray that your glory would help us reconcile with people who hurt us. Help us reconcile to people that we have hurt for your glory, for your fame so that we would see more and more people through this ministry at Calvary Baptist Church, see more people come to know Jesus and be brought into this family. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.